I'm now in my 30th year working to restore nature in forests and on farms, mostly across the north of England. 30 years ago I left the city and my old job behind. I hung up my suit and tie and went off to plant trees. It's a decision I've never regretted. I'm Pete Leeson. Welcome to Series 2 of Tree Amble Podcast. This is a podcast about people and farming and trees and nature and how we could all do much better. In this edition of the podcast, we go to see James Robinson on his organic dairy farm in south of Cumbria. James is somebody I've known a long time and we've bumped into each other at various events over the years. It's a really important farm in terms of the nature conservation side of farming, this one. James is very much part of the Nature Friendly Farming Network and I'm sure you'll hear through his voice how passionate he is about farming the way he farms. Yeah, and uh, two rails away, yeah? No, I want There's 200 metres on a thing, isn't there? I think the 200s. And this is on weight. Yeah, 200, yeah. That's just two, doesn't it? It's a big one. Oh. That hasn't got a sticker on it. Yeah, it must be two. It must be two. It's not three, anyway. <coughs> right. Expensive stuff. <laughs> so, with James Robinson, down at Strictly. Hi Pete, how's things? Alright, actually. Yes. So, uh, I thought I'd come and have a chat with someone who's an organic dairyman. And uh, you've been organic for about 20 years, I think? Yeah, about, yeah, maybe not quite, it'd be 19, same age as Robert that just walked through that door then, yeah. So, um, yeah, 19, 20 years, something like that. So you went organic the same same year you had a son? Yeah, I thought it was <laughs> straight into the deep end, I think, yeah. Yeah, um, but it's good, you know, we find it's a good way of farming. We, um, the, the way we were farming before, it wasn't a huge change for us, you know. So we had the dairy shorthorns, anyways, which are a breed that's renowned for their uh, health traits and, um, you know, be able to walk long distances, convert grass to forage, that type of thing. So yeah. they're a breed that's well suited to an organic system anyways. Right. And um, so we didn't have to change much. And then it was, uh, yeah, it was more just us changing our mindset probably within right. that, but other than that, you know, I think the farm's coped admirably well with it. And this is kind of rolling territory, so it's kind of a lovely short hills, but rolling territory just outside Kendall. Um, so you, so grass is what you grow here, isn't it? It is, yeah, so we've got plenty of rainfall. Um, what are we here, about 48, 50 inches a year. Um, and yeah, we ha we're not blessed with deep soils or anything. But yeah, we can. We, we don't often burn off. Yeah, we don't often drought. Mm, mm. This year we did in June. We've never seen it that so dry in June. Um, but that was just an exceptional year. I think we can norm well. And now we'll see when we go out, out and about. You know how much grass there is about. Yeah. You know how much grass we can grow without any artificial inputs. You so know? Yes. So there's no inputs here at all. No. So people think that you can only grow grass. So, you know, it's fertilizer grows a grass. Yeah. The artificial bag fertilizer. That's the stuff that grows a grass. But it isn't. No. That's just like that. Uh, energy boost at the top, that's like, that's like the sort of Red Bull <laughs> at the top, <laughs> isn't it, really? Whereas, you know, in reality, 90% of the growth, really, that you're going to get is going to come from, from nature. It's going to come from, well, the, the, the um, nutrients that your cows are producing, the muck from them. It's going to come from the nitrogen that's getting fixed by the crops, you know, mm. so keeping the healthy soils right and everything. That, that's how you grow grass, you know. Well, and, and the rainfall. You know, we do need that rain. Yeah, you need the rain. But the soil, the soil health is, is, is a key... It is, yeah, and uh, you know I, our soils, I think, were good anyways. Were because of the topography of the land, i.e., sort of short, start, short, sharp, steep slopes, yeah. small fields, and everything. Um, we do plough, but we plough 
we only plough what we would call like the meadows and stuff that we're going to actually re uh, that we're going to make silage off, going to make a forage crop off, and then it's only every for 15 years. So we're ploughing about 10 acres a year. This year we haven't ploughed any actually, but we're generally ploughing about eight to 10 acres a year, something like that. So it's you know in terms of you know bare soil, in terms of soil disturbance, it's absolutely minimal really. And why are you ploughing? So we're ploughing really when we want to reseed a field, so when it becomes sort of tired, yeah. as it were, and and the main reason probably is for weed controls, like mm. dot control and mm. stuff. When they get to a stage where they just become, where they've almost, um, well, they're sort of competing too much with the grass, so they're reducing yields and stuff. And then when we want to get some better, you know, some, some better cloves in, some, when we want to introduce some more herbal layers and mm. stuff. Uh, we have tried overseeding. Um, not nowhere near as successful as ploughing. So that's so. like going through with a with a with a small tie, like yeah, a harrow, and then, yeah. and then putting Cre seed on creating top. a bit of tilth. Yeah. But the trouble is with that, you know, you've got the grasses that are in there that have already outcompeted the um, vigorous, you know, rye grasses and stuff. Um, so they're going to quite easily outcompete yeah. the little the tiny grasses. seeds yeah, yeah. and yeah. like herbal layer seeds. You know, the tiny tiny seeds. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's that's when we're ploughing. So yeah, eight to ten acres a year. Um, which uh, I know some people hate the plough, but for for me that's it's just part of what we mm. do, and I think mm. it's it's a, uh, acceptable. Yeah, <laughs> well, it sounds like a low level compared it to, is, to, it, to oh, it is, it yeah. is, it is very, and you know, and I think uh, it's, it's, you know if you get a good plough and you do it sensibly, we're not ploughing deep because we haven't got deep soils anyway, so we're ploughing sort of six inches, just basically just flipping it, flipping yeah. the sod over is all we're doing really, yeah. Yeah. and um, yeah, no, we do find that we get very good results from yeah. from the reseeding yeah. with that. So we've just walked down through the yard, um, and we've come to your new building, and obviously everybody's outside at the moment, aren't they? They are, so it's, uh, we're still in summer, you know, and uh, for us, uh, well, with livestock farmers, especially dairy farmers, you've got a summer and a winter, so yeah. that's pretty yeah. much it, really. Summertime cows are out, wintertime, they're, they're in the buildings, um, or summertime, they should be out, I should say, you know, it doesn't always, uh, doesn't always go, but because uh, some people like to have them housed all year, but we like our cows outside, so as soon as the weather allows, so that's generally end of March. The milk cows are out, the dairy cows are out then, and then uh, they'll be outside till right at the end of October, beginning of November, depending on the weather mm. by then. Nighttime, they'll be in probably end of September, something like that, when it becomes sort of dark after the evening milking. Right. There's not a lot of time for them to really, so we, we do tend to get them in then, um, and then, but they'll still go out during the day for the whole of October. And you're milking three times a day, twice a day? Twice a day. Twice yeah, a day. Yeah, twice a day. So half five in the morning and uh, about half four at night. And do you uh, do the milking yourself every day? Uh, yeah, well, the three of us do. So me, Dad and Robert. Yeah. Between us, we just do the milking. Yeah, so we're, we're, ne we're nearly all up every morning. Right. Um, yeah, my... my Alarm goes off whether I've set it or not. My alarm in my head goes off anyways at five o'clock every five o'clock every morning. So um, I'm always up and about. And I love mornings, like. And do you? This is important to me. Do you have breakfast before you go out no, or after? After. <laughs> I don't. I, I have a tiny sip of water. Yeah. I don't want to wake my stomach up at all. In fact, it would probably make me quite ill if I had something early on. Yeah. But by the time it gets to like eight o'clock, you know, when you're coming in for breakfast. Um, you are ready for it then. Yeah. You know, you really are ready for it. And if, you know, and I think I would probably faint if I went another hour after that. You know, your, your body just gets used yeah, to it. Yeah, I, I always love the idea of the sort of farm breakfast. I, I struggle. I have breakfast immediately, I get up. Yeah, oh, I couldn't do that. But uh, <laughs> the farm breakfast, when you come back in, and everyone's there in the kitchen, and that just, it's a lovely thing. Isn't it is, it? but it's not a big fry off. It's not, <laughs> it's, not, it's not like, you know, sausages and bacon and, and eggs. No, what I have is um, some sort of um, muesli sort of stuff. It was sort of akin to dog food, I think. And, uh, <laughs> and then, um, and a couple bits of toast. That's it. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, one solitary coffee of the day. You see, yeah. I'm a coffee addict, so that, that wouldn't suit me. I but, have uh, cheap, cheap coffee. That's all I want. <laughs> but so that the animals are outside during the summer, which is where they should be. <coughs> this is your new building, but this is this is what we've got. Um, this is 100 feet long or something. We've got yeah, lots of enough, yeah, yeah. different so stalls. Yeah, so we've got at this top end, we've got the cubicles at this top here, um, and then there's a feed alleyway down the bottom, and then this is a collecting yard alley for the um, for the milking parlour. I just want to go in for a chainsaw. All right. <laughs> and a hammer, hopefully. Have you stopped that, or do you want to? No, we could, just, we could just edit yeah. him out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but yeah, so uh, we got this 
part of this building was funded under the capture and sensor farming okay. one as yep. part of a mid-tier that we that we did. Um, we really just wanted to, to roof this alleyway. Well, by the time we've, we'd done this, because uh, there used to be a wooden building just next door, um, the wooden building was, was collapsing. So we took the wooden building out and then roofed right over the whole lot. So we got um, part funding because this alleyway was what they funded. So we went right over, we made it far bigger and, 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 and wider than what we were funded for, but it's made, it's made a really nice building. So, so the catchment says if I'm interested, because obviously you've got a lot of muck. Yes. Feces, urine on these surfaces. If it's open to the elements, that washes off. It does. So, we, so all that was going down into the dirty water drain, anyways, yep. which is there. So it was all ending up in the slurry pit, which is great because it all went down there. But then, what did I say? We've got 48, 50 yeah. inches of rain yeah. over this area. That's a lot of a lot of water going yeah. into that slurry pit. And every every bit of water that goes in that slurry pit, we, you know, it's expensive to move out. You know, water's heavy. Uh, well, also, I mean, it's a massive it's a massive storage thing. But then, mm. when it rains harder, you've got more to store. Yeah, and then you've then you've done the mucklets in there as well you know so and if you're wanting to store it all winter to then spread when you know when you should which is you know end of march april when you know when stuff's growing well you've ended up yeah you've got a what then you've got a much more diluted product and you've also you know you've, you're probably going to run out of space mm. so yeah this was it was ideal for us because um and and it's better as well so not only have we stopped the dirty water going down the drain and then having to store it uh, where then uh, the cows are stood here, if it's raining, they're stood here yeah. in the in the shelter. They're also sheltered from the sun as well, so yeah. when it's bright sunshine in, in summer, they're not stood here, because, you know, you fit in this bit here, you can fit 80, 90 cows in here. Mm. It's quite cramped. Well, cows always stand closer in the collecting yard, so they build to generate a lot of heat. Mm. So, you know, the, the more the more um, sun and stuff we can keep off from the... And you don't have to better. wear a raincoat either. No, so no. You, you come out from the parlour to shove them <laughs> in, and it's like, whoa, and you hear the rain bouncing off yeah, the top, of yeah. which we've had plenty uh, this last month or so. Um, but, yeah, so one thing we did with this, because it's a south-facing roof, nice slope, um, we got them just to put the uh, the roof lights in that fast fat in so the, the north in, facing side north got roof facing lights. yeah yeah so we've got loads of light coming in onto these cubicles where the heifers are this side over the collection yard alley hasn't got any in um because we've put solar panels right. above um so our electric this this year we were under contract until april and we were paying about uh, eight thousand a year for our electric contract was up and it, they were wanting 32,000 for it. Okay, yeah. We managed to negotiate that back down to um, about 16,000 yeah. <laughs> once we shopped around, but it's obviously still doubled then. Um, so this solar, which is a, uh, the 65 panels on there, it's about 25 kVA and um, kilowatt, and it's, um, it's producing about 60% of our electric from the end of February when it went in. So it's so it's more than halved our. So we're, we're pretty much paying what we were before. But this, you know, and it's an absolute no-brainer for me putting yeah. solar on something like this. Brand yeah. new roof, great for them to put it on. Um, it's facing the right way. It's a short distance back up to the meters. It's generating electric all the time. You know, I could look on my phone now and I could probably tell you what it's doing. Um, so I've got one of these fancy little apps if I can find it. There we are. So it's cloud. Oh, logging failed. Oh, that's technology for you, isn't it? <laughs> oh, well. And I don't know what the password is. Sorry, I can't look. That was bad timing. But, but... Well, no, I've done that with my mum. So, so from, yeah. from Cumbria, I can look at my mum's stuff in yeah. Suffolk and see what she's generating. I mean, it's June. It was exceptionally yeah. sunny in June. June, we did 75% of our electric. Yeah. The best day, I think, we did was about 87% right. of our electric. So what we've done, because we're milking you know, either end of the day when it's not bright sunshine, it's still producing a little bit then, but we've actually, um, we've changed our water heating and milk, uh, we have an ice builder for the um, for the milk cooling, so it, it runs through that and then um, and then pre-cools them before it goes in the tank. So we build the ice during the day, we heat the water during the day for washing right. out as well. Yeah. So we've actually, it's like a, an ice battery pretty much. Yeah. So we're storing the energy within, within ice. Um, so yeah, so it works really well and, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it wasn't cheap. It was 30,000 to put yeah. all that up. But, you know, if we're saving eight grand a year, that's a short payback. Well, that's a short payback, isn't it? You know, and, yeah. then, and then, you know, the, the income, you know, we've got the income projected forward for the next 25 years. And it's going to, you know, it's going to generate well, a couple hundred thousand pounds worth of, of yeah. uh, savings, really, for us. Plus, of course, the whole 
climate change absolutely and carbon yeah. side of having that energy generated somewhere else yeah i know that's it and it's it's like you know the amount of roofs there is on dairy farms and how cheap solar energy is now yeah. you know because they, they you know it is just ridiculously cheap um and the lads that did this were really good as well uh, just a local company that just started up in the last 12 months uh we kind of went uh, went out on a limb a little bit using them because they were brand new but they were really really good and just did a fantastic job and every figure that they quoted for the um you know for the savings and what it would generate it was absolutely bang on you mm. know you mm. always think oh are they just you know just pushing it a little bit and they're just uh, fabricating stuff but no it was bang yeah. on so i'm really happy with it so there's multiple things going on here isn't there so you've 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 there's catchment sensitive farming so we've reduced hopefully some of this muck going yep. to local watercourses. Yep. You're protecting your cattle a wee bit from sunshine yep. and yep. rain. Uh, you've got solar panels driving your own electricity. The big water tower at the end, so we're actually collecting the, the roof water yep. off the thing, which is then, which is then <laughs> the supplying water for the, for the heifers in there as well. So, um, yeah, it's... Yeah, you know, it, it, it is, and I think every farm has a capacity to do something, mm. you know, and... Um, it's, bit, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit like new houses going up, isn't it, on, uh, on greenfield sites and stuff, and there's no stipulation to put solar yeah, panels on. It's, 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 it's does, my, does my head in. Yeah. You know, and all these new houses that go up, and none of them are even south-facing. I know you can put solar panels on any, on any uh, elevation, really, but it's better for south-facing. And the houses are all to make them look pretty. They're not, they're not designed for the energy you efficiency. You just also pulled the neutrality rules yeah. yesterday. As yes, well. I know. And, 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 uh, which yeah. is just... I mean, mm. I, I'm not sure it's the, it was ever the best policy in the way they did it, but the idea that we... Or we couldn't buy, build houses because, because of the nutrient neutrality thing. Why is it that developers don't pay their, their side of the pollution game as well? I mean, you're, you're, you're hammered. Farmers are hammered, mm. aren't they, mm. often? Mm. And actually, very often, rightly so. No, oh, yes, I mean, there's yes, yeah. awful farming yes. going on in Cumbria, which yep. I see. Um, but actually... You're also in a position to actually do something about it, aren't you? You can, you can actually change the direction of that, can't you, by doing things like you've just done here? You can, and, um, we, you know, so we wouldn't have... We, would we have put this up without... It, this, this spurred us on, you know, so having the capture sensitive family payment on this spurred us on to, do, to replace that building next door so we could do it all in one. So we've ended up with a far better building, yeah. part funded because of the CS, CS, CSF. <laughs> and, awesome, yeah. um, and then, because we put that up, we've then been able, we've then enabled us to put the solar on and everything. So, it's, yeah, it's just like one, one thing led to another, um, which has you know, meant that we will have considerable savings uh, over a long period of time. Yeah. And a better working environment. A far better working environment. Better yeah. And far, far better for the animals. You know, you should have seen the building that was there before. It was an old, we used to call it the new building, even though it was put up in the 60s. And uh, <laughs> so now, now we have got a new building where the yeah. new building was. But it, all it was, it was like an, it was an ex chicken hut, which I think uh, was an ex army hut from down Preston or something. So, yeah, from, like, from the 60s it was put up. So it was well, well past its, its years by date, definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, so we've got uh, strictly as a as a farm as sort of it's grown a lot since it was uh, somebody great great granddad bought it. Well, so great granddad great great granddad moved in as tenants in 1875, um, and then my granddad bought it in the 1940s um, when he was still quite young. Um, and then it's grown since then. So it was like 80 acres to start with. It's now 300. And the buildings have sort of then just added on and added on <coughs> and added on. So nothing's ever been designed. It's not been planned. It's not. No. It's, just, it's just sort of... Yeah. But the thing is, because of the way it is as well, we're stuck on the side of a hill, you know, uh, and the slopes are every which way. So the, we can only... We kind of really sort of fenced in a bit yeah. by the hillside. Yeah. There's yeah. not a lot we can do other than the footprint yeah. we're actually already on. So. so just thinking then about the... This is better for the animals here. I wonder if we can go and have a look at some of the animals outside. You can. Because I'm really fascinated yeah, by... I think the best thing to do... Well, we'll the, often the cows are fairly happy down there, chewing yeah. the cud, so we can go and have a look at them yeah. and um, look at what we're doing with Because one thing we've talked about a lot in the past is hedgerows yes. and field trees and wood pastures. Plenty of those. And I'd really like to talk <laughs> to you. Because I think you're... Are you the chair of the Nature Friendly Farming... And the, and the vice chair the vice of the chair. England Steering Group, yeah, right. for the Nature Friendly Farming Network, NFFN, which is nearly as hard to say as <laughs> CSF. <laughs> um, 
yeah, so um, great organisation. You know, I've been part of it for a few years now, and I think it's just in the right spot at the right time. You know, so it's this um, middle ground. So we've got the NGOs that want to get loads of stuff done on farms and then countryside for improvements and stuff um, at one end, and then we've got the farms at the other end. And quite often there isn't that, you know, there isn't enough conversation in the middle. And it's in the middle where stuff happens. But this is the whole yeah. purpose of this podcast series, is to have conversations about the middle ground. Perfect. Because I think that's where exactly we need to be. It is. And I think, you know, and there's just so much can happen in there. Yeah. And that is where it's going to happen. Yeah. You know, there'll always be little bits either end happening, yeah. uh, but it's often quite forced then. Stuff in the middle where it's, you know, where it is much more amicable between... NGO groups, people that want to make a real difference, and then farmers at the other end that are able to make that difference. That's that's the thing. And a lot of that is about sharing knowledge, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yeah, and yeah. Understanding. Yeah. Because I think I think farmers have been pushed very hard by policy, by funding, by governments, pushed very very hard up production focused yeah. outcomes. Really. Yeah. And we're now thinking, okay, climate change, species loss. They're too, they're they're ripping, aren't they? So we're now having to think about actually, can we do this differently? And, of course, we have a whole range of costs that have come in as well. So it is a perfect time to talk about it. It is, it is. And I think, you know, it's, um, yeah, there is just so much, so much that, that can be done in there, and, and NFFN is just perfectly placed, as are other groups as well, but I'm going to You're going to push that one. <laughs> right, let's go and see some of your cows. Cows while we're just here, yeah. we'll just be a bit stirred up because Dad's just gone through with the bike, so okay. we'll just turn them up. But yeah. we'll talk about cows while we're here, and then we'll go up to the top of the yeah. hill and talk a bit more. Yeah. So, these, yeah. Are the, so these are the girls, yeah. We've just come, as you said, yeah. Everywhere you leave that yard, you come downhill, don't you? So we've just yeah. come down the bottom. There's a stream just behind us, and as you said, there's the girls. So there's hundred and no, yeah, they're just shy of hundred actually. There isn't the moment milking, and um, yeah. So the dairy short horns. So it's a breed that it's the oldest, it's the oldest pedigree breed in the world. Actually, is a short horn breed. Goes back to 1822, and okay. we've been pedigree here since 1915. That was when the first pedigree animal was born. And they're a lovely chocolatey brown, speckled with, with the creamy white, aren't they? So yeah. So the the brown is actually called red. So, okay. so it's red. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Red. yeah. So they are red, white, and roan. So okay. the, the speckled is a, is a roan colour, R O A N. Um, and uh, yeah, and the so the the t- uh, colour could be anything in between though. So it can be from all red, uh, and it's got to be a real dark red as well. You know, a real dark red light. So you see these here. You see the sun the, the sun shining off them. Yeah. You know, it's just when you get that shine on them at this time of year, I think. I think they look fantastic, and you know, I think sunny days, bright sunshiny days at this time of year, it really brings out these cows. Because I mean, they should be full of grass now as well at this time of year. They should be happy. Um, you know, they should be sort of basking in the sun, eating a little bit, and just loving, loving life. I think really. Um, so you're a bit of a nerd about your pedigree, then, is it? Uh, yes and no. I'm probably not as much as a nerd as I used to be, really, with them. Uh, I mean, I could tell you everyone about you know everything about every one of them and the size and the dams and and everything. Uh, some people go mad for figures. I'm more just on the families and that sort yeah, of thing. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, every thing is with a dairy, dairy breeding, dairy cattle. You know, there's so much information that has been um, used for breeding going way back. So since since the first pedigrees were introduced, which was a short horn breed yeah. in 1822, dairy cattle have been bred um, to produce. Well, sorry, cattle have been used to have been bred to produce better meat, more efficient meat uh, production, uh, milk, mm-hmm. better quality milk, health traits, everything. And that's all just on the figures that, that, that were sort of gained from those first, very first ones. That's why the Pedigree Herb Book was set up, really. Right, it, was, exactly. it, it was to breed from the very best animals and know the breeding of those very best animals so that they could be, you know, you could use then the, the uh, sons as sires and you could use the daughters 
as um, as um, as dams of of uh, for sires and things. So yeah, it, 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 as soon as that happened, progress happened very very quickly within the dairy dairy industry really. But these are not these are not the sort of champion milkers in terms of hundreds of liters, are they? Are no, they? so they, I mean, they, but they've got they're not as high producing as a Holstein, yeah. you know. Um, but their job, the dairy shorthorn job, is to produce grass off. This, you know, yeah. so he's produced milk off his grass, yeah. and then it's to go, you sort of climb on that bank in there. You know, well, um, no disrespect to Holsteins, but they haven't been bred to clamber up such no. as that, you know, no. and, they, and they wouldn't. Um, so these are quite steep slopes, aren't they? And I mean, you've got all aspects on here. So for me, so slightly on the ecology side, you've got loads of different niches in here for wildflowers, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. and um, you've got some fantastic hedges at the top, which we'll talk a bit more about. Um, but they, they feel like they're in the right landscape they, they, they can, yeah and yeah. someone someone said to me uh, the, I think I put a picture on Twitter of them of cows going up one of these bankings I don't know which one it was and and they said bag on them them cows look well up there you know yeah. and then that's what they do yeah, they, they, they are they, they are yeah. and the cross of dairy shot on breed was established in the north of England it was really like around the northeast originally but the north of England is where it really sort of found its feet the whole of north of England um you know so there's been Short on cattle on this land for hundreds and hundreds of years, you know, and yes, he's you know, the pedigree only goes back a hundred years, but there'll be you know, even before the the uh, short on herbal was established, there would have been cattle like this, on, this on, on, yeah. on here, yeah, yeah. And these ladies are all organic, so <clears throat> presumably, well, we haven't seen yet, I haven't looked in your fields yet, but presumably, your cow pats are full of. Dung we'll have to go rooting through them. Maybe at the moment for the milk cows, because of this grass they're on, they're probably quite loose. Yeah. But I'm sure we could probably find some. But where the young stock are, you know, where they're on a, a you know, um, not quite as good a grass as what these are on in terms of the protein and the energy and stuff, then there is lots of dung beetles. Yeah. yeah. So um, Claire Whittle, my good friend, she came round um, and, uh, well, she comes on quite a lot, but we were looking at the dung beetles are in there, and ours was the first dairy farm that she'd uh, found one of the tunnelers, you know, with the right, GO okay. and yeah. troops, whatever, the, uh, one of the big boys. Um, and, yeah, so, you know, so we have got lots, we have. And so we're, we're not using... We're using wormers very, very um, sparingly, mm -hmm. very selectively. Um, we haven't had to worm any yet this year. Um, fluky sides, we fluke them at drying off, when they're dried off, um, and then during winter if they need it. Um, so we're, and they don't get any insecticides mm. at all, you see. We're actually using, actually I should have maybe pointed out right the buildings, but we're using some um, uh, parasitic wasps in the buildings, so they actually tiny land, and the, and the and the native parasitic wasps. You know, if we looked on on some cow patch, we probably see mm -hmm. them. And the mm -hmm. tiny little things, just like flying ants, that's all right. they are. Yeah. So we put these around the buildings in little release stations, and every fortnight, then they come out and they eat all the. the, the, the these are the good guys, yeah. the parasitic ones, and they eat all the bad guys, all these nuisance flies, the ones that are causing mastitis um, and that sort of thing right, within okay. the cows, and uh, you know, and problems with calf health and stuff. Um, so we're using like a natural predator really. We've done that. For, this is the second year we're on now, and we're really seeing the results now. So it's taken, you know, it takes a while to sort of build up the sort of um, numbers around your farm. Really, um, it's not cheap. But then one case of some mastitis on a cow or a dry cow, or whatever, that that isn't cheap either. Mm. Um, so if we can prevent these and it problems, corrupts your system because you've then got to treat them. Yes, that's yeah. it. And um, we haven't used touch wood, any dry cow. So what we call dry cow therapy is where you put in antibiotic tubes up a cow when you dry it off. So yeah. talk about drying off, for, for those that don't know, um, a cow should, in theory, if everything goes right, it should milk for 10 months. So say it calf today, in 10 months' time, yeah. we would stop milking it because you've hopefully got it back in calf again, and then it would have two months' holiday, it would have two months' dry period, mm -hmm. when it would then calf again, hopefully the same day as it did this yeah. year. Yeah. Very rarely works out quite yeah. that well. But, yeah. um, so that dry period, they're quite susceptible. Um, because you aren't bringing them through a parlour every every um, twice a day to checking them and stuff. They can be out in the field where there might be lots of flies and that yeah. type of thing that might spread mastitis um, in. And then that tea end, you know, should have a natural seal on it, but mm -hmm. sometimes they don't. Um, so people for a long, long time, you know, probably since the sort of sixties when antibiotics were then introduced into dairy cows, quite quite uh, quite a lot then. Um, you would use dry cow therapy during the dry period mm -hmm. on every cow. So every cow would get antibiotics. 
Um, we haven't used any any routine antibiotics like that since we've been our guy for 20 years. We've now haven't used any dry cow therapy on any cows for three years. Yeah, three years. Um, and mastitis rates during the lactating period, during those 10 months, during the milking period, uh, ours has come down and down and down ever since it went converted to organic. So now we're down at probably um, three or four cases a year. And that we have just treated those for the last two years with udamins and things. So we haven't used any antibiotics during that period either. So that's quite technical. <coughs> what you're saying is this system is working for you. It is. You're reducing your inputs and your costs, but also the cost of the environment. Yep. You're bringing in natural ways of, of coping with some mm -hmm. of those problems. Yep. The beasts look... And, and and if, if and if you give cows a chance to if you so if you put an antibiotic tube up a cow's udder, yes, you might kill the bad guys in yeah. there, but you're also killing all the good ones yeah. as well. Yeah. And those good ones, give it give the cow a chance, as long as you can keep that cow healthy. So you can give them anti inflammatories, painkillers and things, which gives them an opportunity then to fight the, the, yeah. the bacteria in there, the bad guys in there. You know, just give the cow a chance, you know. Chances are it will be at a sorting, yeah, yeah. you know, and um, so we have knocked our antibiotic use down massively. We can still use antibiotics, so being organic doesn't mean we're not allowed to use them. Because mm. if that cow or calf or whatever it is was was uh, sick enough, was poorly enough that it needed antibiotics, we would give them. Um, and then there's long withdrawal periods mm. uh, and things, and then there's a lot of controls over it. But we would still that cow, that animal's health would come number yeah. one more than any of our organic mm. status would. Mm. Um, so yeah, so it's just it's just using nature as much as we can, and uh, you know helping the cows to help them, helping the animals to help themselves. Really, if you keep the animals healthy, you know, then they shouldn't really get poorly anyway. You know. So would you say this is an intense system, or is this? It, it's not extensive. It's not intensive. It's somewhere in that middle ground. Because if we're extensive, we'll probably have about ten cows, <laughs> and they just you know they're just wandering, wandering yeah. free with yeah. free with flowers in the hair or something. I don't know. But we are so we are. But we're using we're using the resources that we've got on farm, yeah. and that's what organic really is. So it's more is. like carrying capacity then. It, it is. It's so you can't. You can never really overstock an organic farm because you'll soon get found out. Yeah. You know, I, I yeah. the system will find you out. You'll get caught. But with your you're also down. then not buying in soya-based foods or no. you're not buying in stuff that's coming in from the amazon for that's example that's it yeah so, so we so we do buy feed in but uh for the data cards but we have been soya free for five years now i think something like that yeah um i just didn't want to be part of that no. whole thing um and whether the soya came from the amazon or not or south america mm -hmm. or not it was still the world market because everything's such a world yeah, market now. Yeah. So I didn't want to be a part of soya palm oil, and palm oil is probably just as bad, if not yeah, worse, than yeah, soya. Yeah. Um, so I didn't want to be a part of that. And these cows have an ability to convert grass really, really well. And at this time of year, we get you know, being organic, all the clovers are really, really flying now. Yeah. We'll just drive to the top of a hill and we'll see all the clovers and stuff. But all the clovers get to really flying at this time of year. So that's nitrogen and, fixing. Yeah, it is. You know, and then we've got um, you know where we've done any. Reseed in the last three or four years, we've put uh, herbal layers and so we've got like plantains and chicories. Um, uh, we've got different types of grasses, you know, so we're going for fescues and timothies and, um, and coxfoot and stuff. Timothies and coxfoot that were sort of left behind um, to the perennial ryegrasses in the sort of 60s, people then didn't really start, you know, because mm. then, you know, you had this bag fertilizer that you put on and if you had. Um, Perennial ryegrasses in there. This fertilizer made them yeah. grow like mad. Yeah, yeah. So the the sort of the breeding of the the plant breeding of like the the coxfoot and the uh, and the timothies and stuff that kind of got left behind a bit yeah. really. And it's only really recently. Uh, I mean, I might be wrong. Some plant scientists probably screaming. <laughs> the thing that I've said, I've been I've been spending a, all my time doing that, but you know, but it's, it's only now really that people are starting to look again at timothy and coxfoot as to what a fantastic plant they are, fantastic grass they are, and they're well, delivering. I mean, it's not just one species; it's multiple species yes, yeah. delivering multiple, presumably min minerals and nutrients yep. that are otherwise missing in your in your yes, ryegrass ward. That's it. And then um, coxfoot timothy, and especially coxfoot, really drought tolerant because yeah. they are such deep rooted. So, um, so in climate change too. Yeah, it is. It? So you know, so that's one reason why we are putting in more multi-species swords now than yeah. ever and that is just really just to give us more resilience we get better growth at the sort of the shoulders of the year as well mm. uh, than you do with just a perennial ryegrass um but we never ever you know we haven't just sown perennial ryegrass for you know 
for probably 30 years, we, mm. we always would have put clover in. Uh, but now, being organic for 20 years, you know, without clover, we just couldn't farm. That is the sort of the number one plant for clover. us. Really, clover, <coughs> yeah. Should we go and have a look at some? We better go and see some clover. parked on top of this is back bank and the one next door which behind us is front bank and then you look back to where we were uh, where we came down that track before so yeah. that field in front of us is a, it's a plucker um, and then you can just see um, little uh, roof over there so that's back to Strictly over okay. there and behind yep. that cow and in the backgrounds we've we've got the high fells haven't we got the yep, we have so we're not that far really um, we are sandwiched and if you if we, if we stood up on top of us and see our bums in the pit, you'd <laughs> be able to see Morecambe Bay down there. And then yeah. behind us, uh, you've got Barbon Fells in behind yeah. those uh, those there. And then there's, you can't just quite see, but if you went a little bit higher up, you'd better see the high wheels up that end. Um, and then the M6 motorway running up there. So Strictly is on a patch of land, on a triangle of land, really, sandwiched between two national parks and uh, AOMB. Mm. Um, which always rise because we don't get any extra, we don't get the extra funding. Uh, but then probably thirty years ago, you wouldn't want to be in a national park or anything, anyways, um, for the um, for all the uh, the regulation stuff. But anyway, we are where we are. It's a beautiful bit of it is the country. It is gorgeous, but it's also rather bright green these days. It is um, outside of your bit. But then ours is fairly bright green, yeah, but it's true. bright but it's yeah. bright green just with without any bagged fertilizer and stuff on. Um, you know, so this is um you know and we've got uh, you know it's we're not that dark rich sort of floppy grass type of you know almost mm. black type of nitrogen stuff but a lot of the green i mean a lot of the greenery now for around here is on the um is just because it is so um so lush and and, and growing now at this time of year for coming june it, everywhere was looking very brown yeah, yeah. so it, it does change quite a bit that way um, we've got a lot, of, a lot of green from the hedges yep. as well. So, just go back on the clover because this this field I can see is just uh, what is it? I mean, in terms of the in terms of the leaf area, it looks like it's sort of 40, 50 percent clover. I know that's not quite. It's yeah. It, it, by this time of year, it probably is getting towards that. Yeah, it is. And um, so these are just white clovers in here. Mm -hmm. We have grown some reds, but we've some of these modern whites are as producing as reds and they've got that longevity well they just mm. last forever mm. red clover five years uh, and then it gets uh, like a nematode worm in and stuff and it tends to by the five to seven years after seven years you're not going to see any mm. you know so that is for a very short term lay where you are wanting you know where you're going to be using it in a, in, a, in a rotation because we are on a much longer rotation for any reseeding you know so we're about sort of 15 years um whites for us are just a thing mm. <clears throat> and if it doesn't need reseeding then we never then we won't yeah. you know yeah. we're only yeah. doing it because we do now this field used to be absolutely rank with docks yeah um and it's not so bad there is some but they don't bother me yeah. you know we don't um before we converted to organic there was three things that really bothered me as whether it would work or not there was um animal health so cow mm -hmm. health mm -hmm. and that's better now Mm -hmm. You know, and that's because we are, we are like I said before, we're using, uh, we're trying to help the animals help themselves as much as we can. Um, it was grass growth. Well, grass growth, we've got between 90 95% um, of where we were before. So, and we used to put 40, 50 tonne of fertiliser on every year. Right. You know, considerable amount. It sounds like a considerable amount, but in reality, it's probably not compared to a lot of people. But it was still all as nutrients getting bought in yeah. um so is that 40 50 ton really worth that five or ten percent growth i don't think it is mm. at all um so if you get the soil right you get the you know you get enough cloves in there you try and you try and look after your soils as well as sort of you know getting them to a certain level you then want to maintain that and and and, and or improve them so you've got to look after your soils. so if you get all those right then you can get to this 90 95 percent mm. um and then the other one the third one was docks um, well, it was weeds, but it was particularly docks. Um, we've still got docks. <laughs> but then you show me a farm that hasn't got docks. Um, and also with docks, you see, they're, they're, uh, they're an indicator species, really. So they're telling you that there's something 
yeah. wrong. Yeah. So they tend to really only grow in really panned yeah, areas, compacted soils. Uh, yeah. So they're one of, you know they're a pioneer species, like uh, you know like certain thistles and stuff, where they've got a real deep taproot, and that nature puts them there to break up that soil, um, and they do a fantastic job of you know a real deep taproot. Mm. Um, so they're breaking up that soil and they're bringing minerals up and down. They're, you know, they're, they're putting air down in the soil and stuff. And so it's yeah, for me they are not the sort of the real devil the that they really. But that's a changed mindset. That's that's you rethinking. It is. I think Michelle would tell you that. It's my wife Michelle would tell you that when I when we first converted to organic, I would wake up with having night sweats <laughs> with dogs. But, but uh, now yeah, I see them yeah. and, and, you know, and I could look on there and you can see some holes in the leaves. Well, I know that the dock beetle is then in among those. Yeah. So the dock beetle, you know, we've just got masses of dock beetles. I know probably shows we've got quite a lot of docks, but they do, you know, certainly this time of year, you'll see them just go across a field and they are, they turn a nice big fat luscious green leaf into like lace with like a lace few days work, it? Yeah. it is yeah. and you know and then they'll just move on and they'll move on and they only go for the docks and it isn't maybe a plantain or something to go with but in the thing around here they only go for a dock um so they are you know they are the perfect mm, mm. perfect little mini beast and then of course you know they are benefiting large invertebrates birds and stuff that will swoop over and get them so you know having that diver having that dock isn't isn't such a bad mm. thing, I don't mm. think, really. Mm. You don't want a field of them, yeah. but having a, having the a few, one. yeah, it's yeah. you know, it, yeah. it's fine, it's fine. And in terms of bird life, you know, I can hear I can hear twittering in the in the hedgerows and things like that. But um, the increased insect mass on these farms, organic farms or mm. regenerative farms, is fantastic, isn't it? The increased, yeah. And we see birds flying over the, all the time yeah. now. Yeah, it, and it is, it is something. Yeah, so but yeah, so you need the. You need the different. Uh, you need the more diversity within the swards and stuff for that. Uh, you need the healthy soils and things, and you need to not use the, you know, the uh, insecticides uh, either direct or indirectly, sort of through through the cow or into field, um, uh, and then you will just get masses of stuff. And once you've got the invertebrates, uh, and then then you get the the mammals and you get the birds and stuff. And yeah, and it is just you know, it, 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 it's amazing how quickly things find the feet and, and it does just become as a sort of a uh, I don't know whether you could call it a function ecosystem but a relatively functional ecosystem for a for a you know because we are a commercial farm yeah. um, you know for a commercial <clears throat> farm it's functioning pretty well I think but you're producing food mm-hmm. quite a lot of it yeah, yeah but you've also got nature on site yeah and I think I think that is the direction of travel we've got to get there and the two farm. aren't you know the two aren't um, exclusive at all you can you know you can you is well, it's not easy to get them together but it's it's better it's when possible. you it, it's, it's possible and it's better when you get mm. together mm. as well. You know, it's better for everybody. Um, and in terms of a mixed sword like this, obviously you, your cattle have got a more interesting diet, not just yeah. interesting to. So every every you know, if you were to go along and what cows do, they sort of rip it out. They don't, you know, cattle aren't selective grazers. So they will just grab grab yeah. it, you know, and they will just rip it all out. And if they've got something, you know. 10, 12 different things in their in their mouthful. Well, that's got to be better for Is them. And then there's all, and then there's all the, you know, there's all the, like you said before, there's all the minerals and things that are in, in all the different uh, plant species that won't be just in a in a perennial ryegrass. It's been, it's only there because of the fertilizer that you're putting on, you know. So, um, I don't know. I just wonder whether farmers, whether we as farmers, have been suckered into the system a lot. Really, you know, we've kind of, we've felt that we've had to go along with it, and that's you know, you sort of. You had to, you know, you had to get the higher producing um, uh, varieties in your in your swards and your grass, which then meant you had to put the fertilizer on, and then you didn't really want all the docks and and um, and dandelions and stuff. So then you had to spray everything with a broadleaf herbicide, which then meant you didn't get any clover either because that would kill that. So then you didn't get any nitrogen fixing. So then you had to put more bad fertilizer on, and it just became. You know, just this hamster wheel of going faster, 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 and you didn't have any, you know, and once you're on it, it's it's very hard to step off, really. It is, and if all your neighbours are doing the same yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. and all the research that's coming out is coming out, and it's funded by those companies. Because <laughs> because that's where the money is, and there's no, you know, there isn't, that I think is why, yes, regenerative farming at the moment, organic farm, whatever, it's, you know, becoming much more talked about now. Yeah. It is, I mean, there's... Um, there's probably half a dozen conferences this year just on regenerative farming and stuff. But 
Um, it's you know, it's a very it, it's it, the movement. I think has to come from the bottom up with that. Well, that's farmer you know, to farmer learning, isn't it? Is, it's it not is. coming from it's not coming from Monsanto, is no, it? No, because, because, because <laughs> well, they they, they want to keep hold of, and, and the only way that they will be able to is is through, like plant breeding and stuff like yeah. that. And there's not the money in in that, you know, if yeah. if they can't sell a spray on the back of it or whatever. So, yeah. um, you know, I really hope that. Yeah, more of the learning, more of the decision making, more of the movement comes from from the bottom up, from the farmer really. Mm. And I think it really, you know, regenerative farming, organic farming, really empowers the people that are actually doing the work. You know, it gives them it gives them so much say in 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 their in the whole, you know, in the whole of their industry really. Well, the ones I've met are really happy. They seem to yeah, be happier, yeah, yeah. more contented. They're sharing. They're meeting new people. I think it's, it, it almost feels to me like it's actually it's this kind of subtle movement of people who are talking to each other, yeah, yeah. giving information away for free, but learning from each other as well. <laughs> giving information for free. Yeah. Well, it's great, isn't <laughs> it? It is. Oh, you need. It is. And I think I think um, that's what we noticed when we became organic twenty years ago. Really, was uh, there was a little Cumbria Organics group sort of set up for all the new entrants that were coming into Organic Town, and it's like bloody hell. You know, and you were just talking and you were sharing and stuff. Mm. You weren't seeing that person as a competitor, no. which I think farmers are awful for, really. Yeah. They've seen your neighbour as a competitor. I don't know why, whether it comes down to, oh, well, one day you might want to buy the same field yeah. as me. The same <coughs> start was. I don't know what it is, but um, but really, you know, we can, like you say, just learn so, so much from yeah. each other, really. You know, all the good stuff and the bad stuff. Learn what works, well, learn what doesn't you work. Know, I mean, Mark and Jenny talk about getting cold turkey. They decided overnight to stop using food, mm. and, and, and they actually went cold turkey, and they 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 dropped about 40% on their on grass. It is scary. It is, but at some point... Well, I suppose being, you know, when we did that and we went organic, it happened to us. But if you're not going organic certified and there's no regenerative certification or whatever, but if you want to move more regenerative you don't have to go cold no, no. turkey you can no. you can do it as a more learning process which is what they say actually yeah. <clears throat> we did this we we could have done it in a much more staged way yeah um you know but then if you could live if you can live with that cut for a period yeah. knowing that it's going to come good through mob grazing or whatever mm. you do I think it's have having belief in it and not belief, and it? not looking after six months or after 18 months or whatever at your grass and think you know and it's yellow because it hasn't had that nitrogen fix yeah and then you're comparing it to your neighbor the other side of a hedge or whatever and he's kept going with his 300 weight of nitrogen for first quarter whatever and um you know you just can't you just can't compare no, because no, that's no. a different thing yeah um and yes he might have massive big swaths of grass when he's when he's getting his uh, silage in um but you know that a lot of that has come from bag fertilizer and Half that's going to be water that's going to run out anyways and stuff. So and it's just, cost and it's cost him what four hundred pound a bag now. Yeah, and then you well, it got up to nearly a thousand, didn't it? it? Did, like but last it's, year, but it's back down. It again, is, isn't it? but then also it's it's the it's the offset cost as well with everything. Isn't it? It's a manufacturer of that yeah, yeah. fertilizer. It's the transport of that. It's where that energy could have gone if it wasn't gone into fertilizer. So I think um, you know the more the more that you can produce off farm and the more you can work with what you've got on farm, yeah. the better it is. Yeah. So the other thing we haven't talked about, and I think we're both kind of itching to talk about, is your hedges. <laughs> hedges yeah, so yeah, yeah. that's the other thing is actually your animals are able to browse these hedges on and you've got sort of you've got a barbed wire standoff but that's only that's that's still giving them quite they've got long necks it is yeah cows have long necks so they can reach over that and i'm quite happy with them reaching over that there's still the there's still the core of the hedge is nice and dense in so there. these are all laid hedges so these so this was laid last not last winter winter before so yep. it's been laid uh, 18 months or so as that um so last time that was laid it was probably 25 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, because as you know, you lay a hedge every 20, 25 years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we had this discussion where I said you should lay them every seven. Um, I, I, it doesn't matter. I mean, you've got loads of hedges, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. And I I'm, think, I'm talking about young hedges and, yeah, and getting yeah. them going. You're talking about hedges which have been here, presumably, hundreds, hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. Yeah. So that, um, that wiggly one down at the bottom there, you just start to see some of the edge. That, yeah. that's, um, that's a parish boundary as well, you see. Right. So. Um, ours is the one at the far side, then the neighbour has the, you can just associate the edge of the flat one at the bottom. So that hedge will have been there since probably about 1100, something right. like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's quite likely if that one, that one was there, then a lot of these others will as well. You look on top of that hill, that's called the helm. On top of there, there's an iron age, you see a little, little lumps at the far end mm -hmm. on the left hand side. Yeah. Iron Age Hill Fort, which was then, um, uh, and then there was a Roman fort there as well. So this area has been. Yeah. Farmed probably, you know, for thousands of years, yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of these boundaries will have been set out in that time, you know, which is, I think is, you know, that's one of the reasons why I think 
apart from all the other stuff, but one of the reasons why we should really, really look after them. Well, you've got small fields. I mean, they, you, obviously they're quite exposed in some respects because they're all tilting in a direction, aren't they? But within every field, you've got shelter. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got additional browse. Mm. Yeah. So there's whole verticality. You've got this sort of view. Yes. It's not all grass and clover, is it? You've got lots think, of If grass. I was to add, and I have done, if I added up all our hedges together as an area and laid them side by side by side, um, it's about 11 acres of hedge that right, we have. Okay. Yeah. And you think, oh, I've lost 11 acres. You know, if, if you were thinking that yeah. way. But you haven't, because that's just growing. It's just growing a crop. It's just a different crop. And the cows, at certain times of year, will eat different things, depending on what they want. And they will decide what they want to pick out of the hedge, whether it's the tips of a hawthorn leaf or it's the, or a bit of willow or it's, uh, or they will even go for holly and stuff. And so, you know, so they will just eat whatever they want. At certain so there's yeah. different, there's different dry, there's dry matter in them, there's mm -hmm. protein in them, there's different yeah. micronutrients, aren't there? And all yeah. the different species have those different things. Willow and stuff, you see, it's really, it's got them salicylic acids. Salicylic acids. Yeah, yeah. so that's like an aspirin. Yeah. So if they want some pain relief or whatever, then they can go and browse on them. So and It's also anthelmintic. Uh, yeah, yeah, cobalt yeah. in it as well. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, and the stuff that you wouldn't get in a, you know, in a in a field, and they will just go and go and get that. And if you give them opportunity to eat it, you know, it's not every cow is going to go and eat, but just when that cow wants, they mm. will just they will just go and have a go at it. Yeah. So there's also a little bit of the cow choice in there, isn't there? Mm. So you are op you're opening up all these different opportunities for them, and they can go and get that browse when they want to. Yeah, it must make for a happier, more contented animal. Well, they seem happy enough, don't they? they, do. Down they there. Do. And when you so when you're walking them back in, you know, um, they tend to go down these narrower lanes where they've got the hedges right right next to them, and they've had all the chance in the day to eat the grass and then the hedges around there, and they'll always eat they'll always eat along the hedges rather than right right walking them in. Yeah. And, you know, whether that's along the main road or it's on our tracks as well. So um, yeah, no, and it seems to be in the. It seems to be at this it's spring and autumn when they go with most, I find. You know, when mm -hmm. you're just watching them a bit, yeah, they seem to do, go for it then. So, and the other thing you maintain in your hedgerows are these big trees. So you've got some um, oak, mostly it's mostly oak, isn't it? But they were, got yeah, ash down there as well. Yeah, so these and the I think there's a down the bottom there. There's a mountain ash as well, mm, yeah. uh, hollies. See a lot of the hollies down that bottom there. They'll be you know. Couple hundred year old, some of those hollies down there, they're really big old things, and there's a lot of hollies around here actually. Um, but yeah, so we do. So when that was laid 25 years ago, whatever last, um, those those trees were probably planted then. Um, but when we come across a tree when we're laying a hedge, we do we leave it. In fact, we get quite excited that you found a tree and you can leave it. Yeah. So, um, if it's if it's where there's a need for a tree, you know, so it's like 20 meters away or something from another one, then we will leave it. Mm. And with a hedge, with a hedgerow tree, if um, if you've left it and it grows up to a reasonable size, um, or something happens to it, whatever, and, and or you, you don't want it in that hedge, well, you can just lay it into the mm. you know, as a tree, you can lay it into mm. the hedge again, or you can use it for firewood or whatever you want to do, you know. Mm. But if you just leave it, you might as well give it a chance, like so. And that's providing additional shade yeah. and shelter. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, more habitat. And, uh, yeah, it's just, why wouldn't you sort of have... It's not taking any room, is it, really? No, no, no. no. no, no. Um, yeah. So with, this, with the, obviously, the change in payments, you, 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 BPS is coming out of it now, mm -hmm. isn't it? Um, which must be a bit of a hit for everybody. But you've now got alternative payments for things like hedgerows. Is that is that enough for people, do you think, the SFI coming in? Um, so we, uh, well, we do hedge... We manage our hedges the way we manage, anyways. Um, so, it, it, so it's going to support us managing. So it's a no-brainer for you. It is because yeah. we're doing that. So we will we will be eligible for the highest payment on the SFI. So that's so you get three pound per side per hundred meters for looking at the, for assessing the condition of them, and that's probably going to be a really good exercise for some people. Yeah, and I hope people are. Uh, honest with themselves as well. Rigorous about that, Yes, yeah. you know. Um, but then hopefully they will see the change. If you're doing it every year and you're not down where you've taken a picture or whatever, you could do it, what three words or whatever it might be. Not down where you've taken a picture or where you've where you've looked at a conditioner hedge, and then next year, you know, if you've changed your management of it, hopefully it'll be better. Um, three pound aside for that, um, and then ten pound aside for. Um, enhanced management of your hedge, so that might be incremental cutting. You might be leaving it like we do without any cutting at all, and then laying um, it, or and then laying it, yeah. um, and then you get another ten pound a meter on top of those uh, for having hedgerow trees. I think is it one every hundred meters or something. So as you can see, we've got mm. we've got all that anyways around yeah. all of ours. Yeah. Um, but um, so that's thirty six pound potentially per hundred meters, which uh, every year. So I think that is decent yeah. i think that's so for us 
you know, even with some boundary hedges that we won't be, um, we won't be able to get the full whack on next to neighbours and things. I think we're still going to get towards three thousand pound a year for managing our hedges, you know, in a more environmental way. And okay. then you, and then there's the payments on top of a capital payment on top of that for the hedge laying and stuff, and any fencing that you might have. So, so that's a reasonable payment. I mean, it doesn't replace your BPS in any way, does it? But it, 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 but it, it provides it, you with the incentive to do something. It doesn't. And someone said to me because I asked this question on Twitter yesterday and. Uh, I was sort of surprised that two thirds of people said it wasn't enough. Right. I figure, but someone says um, uh, they said, "Well, my wife said if it's enough to go on holiday, then we should have it." <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably not a bad way of looking at it, really. If it's something that you're going to do anyways, well, you might as well have it if it means that you can go on holiday for a bit. And actually, as we just discussed, the, the hedgerows are—they're part of your system, aren't they? They're, they're a food source. They're they actually are. shelter, shade, and food. They've they water. So, yeah, I mean, and it's not—you know—people talk about you know shelter for crops, and that crop doesn't have to be you know barley or honestly rape it can be shelter for the grass you know and there's uh there's studies shown that you know the the hedge benefits the the field for for shelter from any cold winds or sun or whatever mm. for 40 50 meters into the field mm. and it's just creating that sort of turbidity of the wind uh going across you know which sort of breaks it up and, and then stop a lot of the wind burn and stuff so there's a you know hedges for us and like i say marker bay just down there which is as a crow flies probably 10 mile away um you know, we get a lot of winds coming up here, and yeah. it would be an exposed spot if you can yeah, imagine yeah. it without all these hedges. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And on those days when it's two degrees and raining, that's <laughs> that's energy sapping for an animal. Yeah, you know, absolutely, it is. It is, and you'll see, you know, you'll see these bigger hedges when, like, you go for the cows in early September. You know, you had a horrendous night, a real getting a bit back endish, as yeah. we would say. Go for the cows. You know, it's still pretty much dark. And they're stood behind a hedge, chewing the cud, and it's like having a roof over them. Yeah, you know, and yeah. they just, they, they know where to go. Yeah. Cows will find the shelter, you know, if you have the option of uh, all around the field, depending on where the wind's blowing, they're happy stood there. And they, you know, and they're, they're um, quite thankful, I would think, for it. Um, so one of the things I think you said earlier on that you were, you were looking at going into was more wood pasture. So mm. have you got, um, you've got a wood pasture scheme? We have. So we've got, uh, we've, we've started a higher tier scheme, uh, was it January? And um, no, we're supposed to be January. Anyway, so we've got some. Um, we have some. No, so it was last January, wasn't it? Anyway, we've got some. Um, time flies. We've got some wood pasture that we're going to create down uh, down at the bottom here, yeah. um, on these sort of more floodplainy sort of bits. Yeah. So we'll go and have a look at them, and yeah. I can um, bend your ear for some advice. So we've just done come down to the beck, actually, um, and you, uh, this holds. I mean, it looks in really good fettle, and I, I know Danny's been down, hasn't he? Yeah, Danny so yeah. So this is Saint Sunday's beck. This uh -huh. so um, uh, yeah, real nice beck. So this is on the Beeler catchment, which then uh, flows through Milnthorpe, Beetham down there, and right. then and then uh, down into Markham Bay and stuff. So um, it's a fairly short run, you know. If the wind turbines are up by Junction Thirty Seven, that's where it starts up there. So it's you know by the time it gets to here it's probably only five six miles. So mm. it's um, but it's really good. You know the water quality is fantastic. Um, you see all the white water crowfoot in there. We've got the uh, white claw crayfish. Good population of them. If you study long enough, we'll probably see a dipper and yep. a kingfisher go up as well. Yep. Um, and there's also a really uh, good population of uh, you know fish, some uh, bullheads and uh, brown trout. Um, it's a bit of a problem with balsam, isn't there, coming in? But there is. balsam thing that just needs to be pulled, and that's hard work. It and time is. Consuming. It is. Um, I think next, well, so the last five years we've spent a lot of time, a lot of farm time doing it, and this year we haven't had the time, and mm. it's really shown. Yeah. You know, um, actually, a cow got over the fence and ended up on that bit of a bank in there, which is why it doesn't look so bad because <laughs> it was it was rank with it, and so a cow spent a whole day on there trampled it and ate it and it's done a good job which has kind of made me think maybe some of these areas where there's a lot of balsam I can maybe just turn a couple of heifers in and see yeah, what happens see, see what whether happens, they'll yeah. trample a bit whether they'll chew a bit yeah. uh, at the right time of year I think it, they will probably eat it really yeah. but um, we'll give it a go so we're leaning on a gate here though uh, on a new fence we've done fencing off this area down at the bottom the cows used to when they were grazing this field behind us mm -hmm. and that one where we've just been to up on top of the hill they would have to come back to the beck for water because there's no mains water on this side of the farm. Um, and that has always been a water source. So this farm here, 
in that building there. Yep. This used to belong strictly to that building, and that um, they used to let the cattle down every day, even during winter, down to each of the beck. So that was a water <coughs> source for every every day of the year for that farm, um, and you know, and we still then used it for our milk cows, which was all right when there was. 15, 20 effers, mm -hmm. which would have been in that building. But you have 100 cows going into there, they can make it's a fair mess. mess. So it's poaching at the bank, it's also faecal matter going yep. through the water course. Yep. Yeah. Lots yeah. of nutrients going in, yeah. which is then going to reduce your yeah. macrophytes, everything else. So, yep. So we fenced this off, which then meant we needed a water source. We didn't want to then have to put mains in, and water is very expensive, and we had all that free resource there, yeah. anyways. Yeah. Um, so we've installed solar. Solar pumping system, and this here is a so it works just like a main system, so it's a pressurized system. Um, solar energy stored into batteries in that metal box there, yeah. uh, which has then got a pumps, uh, it's actually like a well pump type of thing in the back. Um, and then that then runs onto well, there's a trough just in behind here, yeah. and then it'll pump right to the top of that hill. So I think we've got about eight troughs on this one. Um, does that work even in winter? Uh, well, we haven't got stock out in the depths of winter. Good point. So for us, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Right. Uh, if you if you had it insulated enough in the box, it probably would. I don't yeah. think it'd be a problem for yeah. it. Yeah. Um, it would generate a little bit of its own heat anyway, so I think it'll probably be all right. But again, for your system, it's when fine. you've got the cattle out, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's you know it's worked really really well. Um, so we're using free energy to pump free water up to the cows. Yeah. Um, and it's meant that we can change the way we've managed our cattle grazing as well. So rather than the cows having to walk all the way back from that field and us having to run these three fields together because they had to walk across it to get to the water, we can then split the fields up far better. They can, we can focus on one field, they can then move it to the next one, which allows the first field to, to freshen up again. So we break, haven't really talked about rest periods on your land, have you? But, no. But, but are you... Do you think you're are you mob grazing, rotationally grazing? What's your we are what would you call it? We are rotationally grazing, so we're about uh, we probably averaged our rotation probably averaged about twenty eight to thirty days um, rotation um, for the uh, for the milk cows. Heifers, it's a little bit different just for where the where we've got them and stuff. Um, this can sometimes follow the cattle, the the, the, the milk cows, sorry, um, or they're on further outlying land. Uh, which can't really be split up very well, so some of that is. Set but they stopped. can eat rougher stuff, can't they? Yeah, they're happy because they're not. They're, they're not actually producing any. Milk, no, they so. just have to grow and yeah. then hopefully grow a calf inside of a yeah. calf. But um, yeah, so we 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 very much play by ear a lot really as well, depending on the season. So some of these wetter areas, um, such as this, you know, where it's much nearer the back, that might be, not that this is because that's a wood pasture, but um, if they're if they're in a lower lying area where it's a lot damper during the dry periods like red in June that just grows and grows and grows mm. and grows mm. but during wetter periods you've really got to keep off them and stuff so. you don't want to poach it up no and then we you know and we've got a lot of these steep banks as well yeah. where if it's wet you got you can't graze them either because they end up slipping down and poaching right, okay. that quite a lot yeah. so um, it makes it an interesting thing to farm though because <laughs> you haven't actually got much flat ground here have you no, and, all, and the flat ground that we've got is wet as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, as you get all these, uh, the, the smooth rush, we call them reshes, you get all, you get all that, uh, that in here. But that then does lend itself nicely to, um, to doing something else with it. Yeah. Um, so what we're going to do on this bit we fenced off here, on the other side of the beck, and I think there's 10 acre in total, we're going to create wood pasture in there. Um, because, well, I, this... This sort of tree cover that we've got up the up the back side, um, it's great, but they're all older and they're all at a certain age and they're all at a certain size and, and, and they're probably starting to die off a lot of them. Um, and we've got all these big hedges and stuff and I want to just create a nice corridor right through the middle of the farm. So we're going to uh, plant wood pasture in, in these okay. areas really. So what, <coughs> 40, 50 stems per hectare yeah, so in not cages? A lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a lot, but I mean, those oak trees, once they're 200 years yeah, old. Yeah, well, that's it. If yeah. we live that long. Yeah, it'd be, nice. it'd be nice, if, <laughs> yeah. nice if you could come back and see and see how it looks in a couple of hundred years' time. And get some other species in that yeah. aspen, maybe, and yeah. lime and things like that. Yeah. Um, what's the benefit to you of that wood pasture? The uh, shelter and shade, a lot of it, yeah. I think, a lot of it. So when we've, uh, when we've had these hot summers and stuff, which we tend to be having... It might not seem that we've had hot summers the last month or two, but you know we tend to get periods now where it's 
you know, you get rain maybe for a month, but then you've had no rain and hot sun for a month as well. And it's during those periods really that you see the benefits of having more trees on farm. Um, and again, it's this whole diversity of diet for the cattle and soil health and invertebrates. And you know, it's just giving having having as much diversity as you can across your whole farm and it's not just in certain pockets but it's spread as widely as you can it's you know that's got to that just benefits so many things james thanks very much for having me at strictly on your farm and talking about your farm system things is there any are there any take-home messages i mean we've talked about regenerative farming and organic farming um yeah we've got all these all these conversations about food security and things like this is there one big thing under your... You've got a lovely cap on. Is there anything, one thing under the cap that you haven't talked through that you'd like to kind of get um, out there? I, the other day, I was just... Well, I just, um, for some reason, walking the cars back up and I was trying to think of something and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll do that chat GPT thing. Yeah. I'll find it. I'll ask that and see what it says. So I, I, I thought, I'll just see what, you know, what the information out there is and what it would think. So I put um, benefits of um, nature-friendly farming to mankind, or sorry, humankind. Yeah. And it came up with all these things, all the things that we've talked about today, yeah. really, on soil health, biodiversity, carbon sequestration, water quality, air quality, all those things. And the one thing they missed out, um, which I think is the most important for the individual that's, that's doing it on their farm or whatever, and that was that it makes you happy. Yeah. You know, it's just, it just and that's, that's a robot doesn't realise that. Yeah. But for us, for me as a farmer, just farming that way, I think, just makes me up, and you know, it's it's just a good way to farm. Well, you're always smiling. I'm, I'm smiling when I'm out doing all yeah. this on a nice day. Yeah. But it's but that to me, you know, it just it just gives me, um, you know, as an individual, whether I'm a farmer or not, it just gives me so much um, enjoyment, really, um, and, and a reason to do it. Which is brilliant because I think that is a motivating factor. Is is. Uh, that's, that, you can't be beaten, can no, you? No, that's it. And if that, and if nothing else, if it doesn't make you any money, if it doesn't benefit anyone else, if, if it benefits you, then you know, then that's got to be. I know you get there's there's so many other benefits that like we've said, and so many other benefits to society and and identity and everything. But um, you know, if it just makes you happy, well, that's good enough reason for me to do it. James, thanks very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Good stuff. It's been a pleasure, Pete. It was great to see James in his natural habitat. It's a lovely farm, it's rolling, it's a, it's a beautiful place, and he's managed it in a way which produces food and has lots of wildlife. It's a great place, and hats off to James for being such a standout veteran, really, of the organic farming movement. Well done, James. Next time, we're meeting an old mighty mine, John Quinton, um, who's a soil scientist, a professor at Lancaster University. You've been listening to the Tree Amble podcast, written and produced by myself, Pete Leeson. My special thanks go to Pete Ord for his awesome production and mixing skills. And actually, Pete and Pete, both of us, we wrote the music, so thanks very much to Pete for his input there. The recording was on location with mixing and production at the studio at Sunbeams, part of the Annie Mawson Sunbeams Music Trust. Thanks also to all those lovely people who were interviewed, Simon Wakefield for the artwork, and my special thanks go to those who gave me the confidence and support to make this happen. Angela, Anne, Catherine, Tim, Tim, Kevin, Emma, Nick and Paul. Thank you. <laughs>